You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. My child needs more male role models in his life. As I'm a single parent, I find it hard to provide this. Where can I go for such role models? How can we as parents motivate our children towards reading more Quran and Namaz? They say parents should lead by example, but what if your significant other half is not setting a good example in some aspects? For example, asking children to read Namaz but not following that themselves. How then do you bring that Tarbiya into the children if it's stronger from one parent rather than both as a team? What's the Islamic ruling on smacking? Assalamu alaikum. Um, you're listening to Cradle to the Grave show with Sheikh Amr Jamil. So today's a, a continuation of our series and hopefully I think the listeners have perhaps been benefiting Umran. I think the idea behind this um, the show, because I know that we have a lot of discussions about, you know, current affairs, you know, other contemporary issues, about theology, etc. But I think it's also important on Read Ramadan to have a show that is really you know, at the end of the day, there's day-to-day life challenges, and I guess the idea was that we can take listeners through some of these challenges throughout life, uh, from the cradle to the grave, And but really the difference is getting some guidance from the sheikh and getting guidance from people of knowledge um, to help us understand and put things into a bit of context. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think we need um, some practical tips day to day. Something that is actually gonna something we can implement day to day. So whether it's as we've already gone through marriage yesterday, and previously we were um, talking about we've done birth, birth rights, birth, so we've done marriage. Uh, today we're doing parenting. Next week we're going to do um, another marriage topic, and some of the future sessions we're going to do um, up towards uh, elderly end of life care issues. You know, we have a growing population, our elders, um, you know, things like dementia, things like uh, looking after our elders. And, you know, as a community, are we really ready and responding to it? So hopefully people will benefit through these various stages um, that we'll be covering, inshallah. Um, Let's get cracking. So, Sheikh, assalamu alaikum. How are you? Assalamu alaikum. And I guess the few themes that we'd like to get through till two o'clock while we're here, I think I'm, you know, I'm very keen to hear your thoughts on... I guess positive aspects of parenting in a good way, what sort of things are important um, I think some of the challenges in dealing with teenage you know, teenage years because I think that's a particularly vulnerable make and break sort of time for, for young people the whole aspect of the online challenges you know, is, and I'm going to ask you later but what age do you give your kid a phone, right? A smartphone, I think that's going to be something I know speaking to a lot of other parents you know that they have this constant debate and battle and also I guess if we have time we're talking a bit about uh, you know we've had some questions about single parents and how they can sort of you know parent effectively you know in terms of um, just the single parent but but let's get cracking inshallah sheikh um so tell us a bit about parenting I mean there's a very famous quote isn't there about um play with them for the first seven years of their life teach them for the next seven and advise them for the next seven um, and I was looking look, I was trying to check the reference and you know, it's, I don't know if you can shed light on who said that it's, it's, I don't think it's a hadith but maybe one of the companions and, and talk us through a bit about these concepts, these three, seven years and whether you think that is something that, that is applicable in this day and age. Yeah, so the, the thing that you mentioned about splitting it over seven, seven, seven um, this is uh, it's not it's not hadith of the Prophet Sallam. It's sometimes attributed to Sayyidina Ali, um, and uh, basically the what it's saying is that for sev- the first seven years you should um, play, let them concentrate and play. Uh, for the next seven years, you this is where you the, the real teaching begins, the teaching and the tarbiyah. And then the last seven, which means from fourteen to twenty one, is you should befriend them. In other words, you become more like an advisor. And that advice, to be honest, is absolutely 100% spot on. Um, All the research shows that um, children are most conducive to learning after seven, which is why 
if you look at all the Scandinavian countries which have the best um, standards of education in the world, they do not start schooling until the age of seven. So um, there's a big push amongst educators that we should not be putting children into school at the age of five. Um, personally, I think it's economic driven because um, that's what a lot of them say, that it's economic driven because they want parents to, you know, especially women, to go back to work and so put them into to school. So then if you really think about it, it becomes more of a babysitting service than, a, than actually all the experts are saying. All the experts are saying at seven, up to seven, it should be learned through, learning through... Uh, play, which is why the, the alternative teaching methods like um, Steiner, uh, they don't start formal teaching until the age of until the age of seven. Um, so, definitely the first seven. I mean, this, this is and it's very important that we educate ourselves on this in this topic because what happens I find with parenting is that we look at other people, we look at other parents, other children, what are they doing, and we try to copy them. Instead of being a sheep, right, and just following the crowd, we should use our own aql and do our own research and do what, is, what you think is best for your child. So some people say, oh, have you not started your children learning the Qur'an? My children are they're just about hit five. I haven't started them reading Qur'an. I just read to them, uh, but I'm not pushing them. Because, yes, I know other kids maybe at their age have learned maybe a couple of surahs, but I know that, inshallah, after seven, when they're ready to learn, the, the, the learning will happen very quickly. Right, so you what what happens is you have to resist what you're hearing and what other people are telling you. Sometimes my mum says it. Oh, you know, when are you going to start? I said, look, don't worry about it. You know, I've got it under control. So I think you have to have a bit of confidence um, in yourself. And this this is a topic which a lot of people uh, are thinking about talking about. I was just in Juma the other day, and I was speaking to brother Anas, who's doing the morning uh, program. He's a qualified primary teacher, he's he's trained done some training in Steiner, he's homeschooled, he's put his children into school. Um so he's obviously very um he tried to set up a nursery at one point as well. Uh, he was the, the nursery manager Al Mizan. So he's very much uh, in education and he's very much into Islamic education. We were discussing lots of things just after after Juman. It's just the conversation could have gone on and on and on. And we were just discussing, you know, what is the best way forward. So it's something which is um, on people's minds. And I said to him, I said that what most people say to me is that there's no, there's no, there's no guidebook. When I became a parent, no one gave me a guidebook like how am I supposed to do this? It's kind of just learning as you go along. Now, I think that's really useful, and I'm just mindful. Of it. So for the majority of people. Um, the children will be attending mainstream schools yeah. in Scotland and and the ongoing anxiety many will have is look they've got this what they call the secular education yeah. and then you know there's a real importance to teach them the Islamic elements so you know uh, reading Quran, Islamic studies Arabic etc um, and you know so it's often talked about you know that you know Perhaps these children have a lot more pressures because they go to school all day, then they come home. There's another two, three hours at the madrasa, yeah. etc. So it's quite demanding, and they might have other sort of after school and extracurricular stuff. Um, and one of the questions that we somebody asked was like, how do you uh, get that balance right? So how do you try and put this emphasis on learning Quran, learning Islamic studies, um, and teaching Islam, and pushing them, but without putting them off? Um, so yeah. you know, wait, wait, how do you get that balance? Because you're very much, you know, there's that element of encouragement, but you know, they might get fed up and put them off. And you know, we hear, you know, some of our friends, you know, they talk about their experiences back in the day, and that put them off for a year. So how do you get that balance right in terms of teaching Islam and principles, but also managing mainstream school? Yeah. So I mean, this is one of the things we actually brought up in discussion, and we 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 um, uh, did conclude the same thing that look. And this is, I think, this is where um, I'm not a hundred percent in favour of the whole kind of Islamic schools idea. And the reason for that, I've got nothing against them, but that is not going to solve the problem for the whole city because it's, it's we're never going to have enough 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 Islamic schools to cover all our children. So we need another strategy, another solution for our children. And not everyone's going to homeschool either. Not everyone's going to do all these other things. So. End of the day, like you said, for the vast majority of people, they're going to be sending their children to mainstream schools. So then we come to, well, okay, how do we educate them? So what we concluded 
uh, and my feelings were, were also that um, what you have to do is make that after-school experience the experience of when you go to learn whether it's Quran or Islamic studies a brilliant experience it has to be an amazing experience that the kid absolutely loves it most children if you think about whatever you think of our time you kind of dreaded going you know you went from in the classroom different different teaching techniques into the masjid on the floor you know sitting there for for two hours with a black and white copy some Imam, right, who's you're scared to death is going to beat you up. I mean, you know, things have changed, but um, it's not. It wasn't the most. It wasn't the thing that. It wasn't the thing that got you excited. And um, I was talking to an Imam. I won't mention the city in case he gets uh, forget who he is. I was talking to Imam, and obviously we've we've produced this slight like ice syllabus for schools curriculum. And the reason we produced that curriculum was because um, for that age group of, of 10, 11 to 15, there was no curriculum. When we started iSyllabus, some of the imams actually said to us, do you have a curriculum for teenagers? And we said, no, we, we're concentrating on adult education. Um, but the, 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 the question kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, until a point we, got, we got to a point where we said, look, let's look at this. And the shocking thing was when we looked at um, curriculum for that age group in all these Islamic schools in the UK, nothing. There's no, there's no set curriculum. Really? No set curriculum. They're all just taking bits and balls from here and there. And um, I mean, the person who eventually wrote the the books for us, Zubair Alvi, actually worked in an Islamic school for about five years. And um, we said, and he said, look, there's a huge gap, massive gap. And we thought that's ridiculous, you know, that that uh, we're not investing in our children's education. So alhamdulillah, we've been working on it for five years, and now we've produced five books. The the fifth one. Um, covers GCSE Islam studies, so you can do that. So, you know, you've got, and the thing was, we wanted to give them an experience which matches school. So we said, look, this book has got to feel, has got to have the same um, kind of content, kind of um, all the things that you would find uh, find in a school book. So it's on par with any school book, and that then gives the child um, the feeling that this is this is valuable. Okay, because it's just as good as that. It's colour. It's you know, there's like pictures, and uh, there's different activities. So that is the first thing that you get them. You get them excited about it. Then you have to make that experience enjoyable for them. If they if they have a good happy memory, they will always. And you know yourself as a, as a psychiatrist that your early experiences in life stay with you. So if you have a good happy experience in the after school, uh, madrasa and it was really enjoyable, then you always link that with religion. If you had a bad experience, like you said, some of your friends say, look, I was put off, it actually puts you off. So what we need to do is start really heavily investing in that after-school education experience. And we have to ask ourselves, really, what we're giving our children, is it is it the best that we can give them? And the thing I'm going to mention before I bring you in is the the conversation with the imam was we tried to convince him to teach the Islamic this book in his madrasa. He said, look, you're teaching Quran five days a week, one day a week, teach him Islamic studies. And he said, okay, well, how am I going to do it? I need teachers. We said, we'll get you some teachers. And he, he said something really profound, which to this day, uh, it makes me think. He said, he said, I've been teaching for 30 years and I know this, I know how to teach children in the limited time. He goes, I've got this many children. He goes, I have got three minutes with each child. Gosh. Three minutes. And he goes, in the three minutes, I have to listen to his sabak, his, like, uh, his lesson. I've got to correct him, and I've got to give new, a new lesson for the next day. And, then and I was, that kid will be sitting there for about two hours. For two hours, right. The three minutes but he's actually, get, he's actually getting three, three minutes. And I thought, it means if you just taught your own child <laughs> right, for half an hour, you've actually given them more. Uh, but, but the thing is, you've, 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 you've cut down ten hours that they're at madrasa for. And, and think of the time going to the madrasa, coming back. You're talking about maybe 15 hours, right? And they're getting, what, 15 minutes out of it? So, I mean, one solution to this would be we teach the, we teach the parents. Yeah. We teach the parents, we, we brush up the t- parents' tajweed and uh, we, you know, they just do a course like iSyllabus and they can teach the books and that would be problem solved. They wouldn't have to go to uh, madrasas but then I might get into trouble from the madrasas now. Or, or the, the other solution is fixing what they're getting taught at these you know, two hours a day, etc. And it's interesting what you said, that this whole aspect of positive and negative associations, oh. you know, um, and that really, you know, I mean, that's well evidence. But one thing that struck me was that I was, I was with a brother down south, and he after he would take his son to Tarawi, they would go for a milkshake, right? 
every time, you know. And and, and this is similar. I remember when we used to go to you know the mosque for Juma. You'd go to Babaji's shop, you know, and may Allah have mercy on them, and get a sweetie, you know. And it, it actually, if you don't mm. realize, actually, that is creating positive association. And you know, if you think about advertising, when you look at McDonald's adverts, they're all emotional. Or oh, the time I had with my dad, the time I had with somebody, because what they're saying is that if you can inculcate this positive association at this year, early age, you're going to keep buying McDonald's for the rest of your life because it makes you feel good. And I think there's so many parallels with are the experiences our kids going to do they leave happy and excited and say I want to go back or they say oh not again you know and you know then I think that's the turning things all around when children are growing up when do the rules of things like fasting praying you know paying zakat when does that all kick in at what age yeah for so islamically when we we view um a person as an adult once they have gone through puberty so that is for a female it would be when she has her first period and for a boy or a male it would be when he has his first nocturnal emission or first uh, first time he ejaculates so at that point they become they become adults and everything that an adult has to do they have to do so they have to pray if a girl's uh, uh, menstruated then she has to start praying as well start wearing hijab um, start fasting Ramadan if they've got money they need to give zakat so basically everything that an adult does, they would have to do. Which is interesting because in traditional societies, as you know, you would have you would have had boys at 14, 15, maybe working in the land, helping their fathers, learning a trade. Um, and they would maybe get married as teenagers, you know, so and they'd become uh, parents quite quickly and they'd become grandparents quite early as well. So that obviously has changed a lot because our education system, it elongates their time that they're in uh, school. Uh, some people have actually called this the elongation of childhood because they might be 16, 17, eight, even 18 at school, um, whereas Islamically they were an adult. It's probably four years into their, or five years into their them being an adult. So as an adult, they're supposed to be responsible yet, but they're in school and they can't even go to the bathroom without putting their hand up. You understand? So um, you're treating them like a child, which is why... You know this idea of rebellion. They say that you know these these they become very rebellious. It's because they're adults, and something happens. It's called in Arabic. It's called idhar that, which basically means um, the, the 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 oncoming of identity. So in other words, it's like they're trying to make their presence felt that I exist and I have an opinion and I am important. And that's what what is interpreted as rebellion, or was inter- interpreted as they don't listen, they don't understand that that's what's happening to them. They're actually they're actually they don't want to be tra- treated like a child, and because of the system that we're living in, it's treating them like a child that frustrates them. That's why they become very difficult with teachers, um, and they you know they, they want they want respect basically. So what, I mean, let's focus on teenagers because I know that's a really vulnerable time for a lot of children and. Um, we know from even just, you know, a child and adult sort of development, it's whenever there's a transition that that's a time when you know p- children and, and adults are most vulnerable. And I guess one of the big transitions is is when you're about eleven or twelve and going into high school. Also, transitions if you're changing schools. You know, these can be potential flashpoints for you, for young people. Um, I mean, what advice would you give parents that are you know, facing some of these worries about you know the children and the you know the teenage years, and I guess for, just to expand on that, for me, I've always felt that that's a particularly um, vulnerable time because essentially um, the the big challenges around that time so are are peer pressure, um, the opposite sex, you know, gender issues and stuff, and drugs and alcohol, you know, cannabis and all that. You know, these are real things. That are sort of very pertinent in a lot of high schools and in society, <clears throat> and so these are you know this young person who's trying to become an adult, but also realizing I'm still a child because I'm still dependent on mum and dad. They still put you know finances put, you know, and that's some of the the rebellious time that you talk about, and and also finding your own identity. A lot of questioning, why am I why am I a Muslim? Am I Pakistani? Am I British? Am I uh, Somalian? Am I whatever it is? And, and even we're going to touch a bit about sexuality as well, you know, because um, these are real 
just you know it's a, you know it's a very you know difficult time for young people you know um and particularly if there's other vulnerable factors you know if the families aren't are a bit dysfunctional or there's other stressors or the past trauma etc so i mean how do we as parents support these young people and what is our attitude islamically as well um because sometimes you'll say look i need to put my foot down and be strict or sometimes you'll say actually i need to be their friend you know and it's, so talk us through a bit of that because i know from your experience um You've looked into this and you've advised yeah, a lot of people. There was a there was a child's act, a child's report in 2009 or something, and I remember um, what I took from it was there was a, a expression in there that um, life has become very difficult for children in, in this society. In other words, when we were young people, uh, yes, we had challenges, but we didn't have the internet, we didn't have phones, we didn't have um, all these multiple TV channels sexuality yes did exist yes there was a, a pornography industry and there was drugs and all these things but it wasn't as rife as now you know i remember in the in the past you'd go into a, a petrol station and the naughty magazines you could say were at the top shelf and they were covered uh, so you'd have to reach you'd have to go for it now you open the door and you have to lower your gaze so it's completely changed so the challenges for our children are different from our challenges. They're, 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 they're greater. So that's the first thing to understand, that it's not easy being a young person. Second thing is that thing that we were talking about before, the quote about seven years of play, seven years of teaching, and then seven years of befriending. So from the age of 14 to 21, it's an, it's an age where you're befriending them, you're advising them. And that's actually interesting because, like I said, once they go through puberty, see the thing that, that, that we don't understand, we, we call people children, so a 16-year-old child. He's not a child, he's an adult, you see. And this, this is one of the things that you have to understand yourself and also get through to your child. doesn't matter what you're, what's happening in school. I know in school you have to put your hand up to go to the bathroom. I don't care about that, but you're an adult now. When, you, when they've gone through puberty, you're sitting down that now, son or daughter, you're an adult, you need to pray, you need to fast Ramadan. This is your responsibility. You are a responsible person. You're a young adult now. If you give that message to them and then start... We can't treat them like a child then, you see, because then it's a contradiction. So you have to say, you're an adult now and I'm going to start treating you with a bit more responsibility. Give them the responsibility. Allow them to, 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 to rise to the challenge. Don't treat them like a child. Um, so... It's understanding Islamically that this person is now actually an adult. And your job, really, and this is where the, the, the thing I think a lot of people miss, is that what happens is when the child gets to teenage ages and it starts to become a bit rebellious or not listening, they, they want advice. Sheikh, what do I do? My son's 16, doesn't listen to me. Uh, can, you have a, can you have a word with him? And you think, well, I, I can't undo 16 years of non-work or neglect in five minutes a five-minute conversation and this is where we, they don't understand that the, the the most important period is actually the early years and what happens is in the early years a lot of people don't really realize because children at that age they don't have any power they will listen to you irrespectively they will do what you tell them irrespectively because you're in charge they don't really but the thing is um what you don't realize is that that what was happening in those early years that is the foundation that you're building if you've done that properly and if you've built a solid foundation where you've made a good connection with your child, very good connection, they trust you, you trust them, you, you talk to them, they talk to you, the communication's there, all of those things are done. When it comes to the teenage years, then they will discuss these things with you or they're more likely to discuss things like, you know, you're saying about sexuality or drugs or all these things that are happening in school. But if you've been non-existent for 11 years, 12 years, and then all of a sudden you want to communicate with them, they're going to be like, you know, where have you been all this time? Why should I talk to you now? So that's that's obviously a preventative <coughs> and uh, it's a good approach. But what advice then is to those parents where they are where they are and maybe there's been the difficulties, but they are rebellious and they're difficult now. You obviously can't undo the situation you're in. But the, the kids are challenging, the kids are rebellious, the kids are, you know, really pushing all the right buttons. What, what do you do then? I think um, <laughs> you're saying, well, uh, prevent... Well, see, this the, the Sharia is based on prevention, prevention of harm. Um, so we 
we should actually educate ourselves from beforehand. But yes, if somebody's not done that, it's like I've not been praying for 20 years, right? I need to now learn how to pray. Well, you still have to do qada of 20 years, right? So it's not really a solution just to uh, ask these things. The, the problem with us is we will ask questions when things go wrong. And that's a big problem. That mentality is a problem because today you're talking about parenting. Tomorrow we'll be talking about another topic. But it's the same, the, the, the root cause is the pr- same problem that we will do nothing. And as soon as something happens, we oh, what do we do? What do we do? So this Manchester thing happened. Oh, what do we do? What do we do? Well, why have you been sleeping for the last 10 years? I remember I, I wrote something and I put it on my Facebook. I wrote something when the, seven, uh, when the, the Glasgow airport incident happened. And that was 10 years ago. It's actually 10 years ago. And um, I remember when I wrote it, uh, as a follow-up, I said, look, we should distribute this, we should spread it. And the response I got was, oh, everything's died down now. You know, everything's gone quiet. The media's not talking about it. Let's just keep quiet now. And the thing is, we, we hear all the time that, you know, there's a high alert or there's a likelihood of this happening. So we know that this might possibly happen. So why are we not thinking about what's going to be our response? We should have all this, all the preparation done. But what happens is we'll be, we'll go to sleep. When is it? When is something happened? Oh, Sheikh, you should put something up on Facebook, or you should say something. And this is a problem. I think that mentality. Now let's get to the, the question. You're saying you've been neglecting, or you've not been doing all this for so long. You now need to build a, a relationship with your child. First thing is to understand that. Um, they're an adult. If, if they've gone through puberty, they're an adult. Start, start treating them with an, like an adult. As soon as you start treating them with a bit more respect, they will reciprocate it. Because once they're getting a bit more, okay, your, your opinion's valuable. So a simple thing, a simple thing I'll say to you, you're, you're in the car or something with your teenager and uh, just ask them, you know, you've got, heard something on the radio, well, what do you think about this? And they might say, well, what do you say? I, I want to know what your opinion is. So you're actually saying, your opinion's valuable, right? So you're saying, well, I think this, I think that. That's very interesting. So why would you think that? So what you're doing is you're getting inside the mind of your child or your, your young adult. So you're actually understanding how they're thinking. And then you could say, well, I agree with you, but see this. What if we thought about it like this? Do you think that would be better? No, I think that would be better, yeah. Okay. So what you're doing is you're, you're helping them without them knowing you're teaching them without them knowing. It's a, it's, a, it's a very subtle and very indirect way of doing things. And you have to, you have to accept that, you know, they, they're, they're now an adult, they're responsible for themselves, and you have, to, you have to make mistakes to learn from. Don't be afraid to allow them to make mistakes. So when, these, when you say, look, my advice to you is don't do this, right? And they say, but I want to do it. Okay, you want to do it? Okay, you can try it, but I'm telling you not to do it. So what's going to happen? They go and do it, mess it up. It happens again, they mess it up. The third time, they're going to realise, wait a minute, my dad's told me the last three times not to do it, and I did it, and he was right every single time. And then what happens is, you know, he knows what he's talking about. So if you're saying, no, no, you can't do this, and I, and I had this uh, situation with, um, with, with somebody, he was about 19 years old, and his father came to see me, and uh, the son came to see me, and, and it was that same thing that, no, I don't care, you, it's lockdown, I'm going to take your phone away, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, he's 19 years old, he's at university, right, you, you, you flunked the first year of university and uh, you've had your chance and that's it. And what he doesn't realise is that three years time that he's going to be finished university and he's going to lose control over him. So if he treats him, he can treat them maximum for three years like a kid, mm. after that he's going to get his degree, he's going to get his job and then that, the, the, you know, the, the relationship's going to is going to drift apart so my advice to him was look you need to advise you're an you're an advisor now you're giving him advice but he is his own person if he it's doesn't not, it's not easy though is it it's not easy no i'm it's not easy, saying it's easy to make mistakes i'm not saying it's easy but if you're if you're asking Thinking me for about a, the long game though is thinking yeah, if you're asking me for a solution i'm giving you a solution solutions are not always easy and people can can accept it or not but then you know this is you're asking my advice that's my advice so just following up on that, Sheikh, um, leading by example, um, we had a question on the the Vox Pop at the start of the show with regards to um, parenting styles. So if you have one parent who has a very different way of you know, disciplining the child, maybe lenient, and one that's a bit more you know, militant, shall we say, and very structured, and they're being torn between the two, especially because we have... Uh, 
families that are not living together, so divorced couples, they're between two households, very different environments in two different households, and they're being, you know, back and forth between them. What is the way, best way to address that, where they're perhaps drawn to uh, an environment which is easier <coughs> and um, more kids are likely to go to an environment which is easy for them in terms of, you know, structured homework, structured Islamic classes, and if they're not getting that on one side and they're getting a bit more pushed to do things on the other side, there's this, you know, distinct sort of split. So what's the solution here? What's the best way to address that kind of scenario? Yes, yeah, so um, the first thing is that we where parents have got different uh, ways of disciplining it's, it's very important um, that they try and come to an agreement over how they should discipline because uh, what happens is kids are kids are super smart um, and they'll pick up on any weakness. So you know your kids if you're if you're if they if you try to be strict with them what they'll do is go to the grandmother or grandparents because they know the grandparents are softer and you know they can wind them get them round their finger. That's kids just been very clever from a very young age. So. Uh, it's important that the parents should discuss amongst themselves, if need be, go on, go on some parenting courses, learn together. Um, you know, one of the things, I mean, I was I was at a workshop just a couple of weeks ago about how to teach English to your children. Uh, and just because I'm a scholar doesn't mean I know everything. You know, I'm learning myself. I'm trying to increase my skill set and trying to broaden my horizons of how I could be a better parent. So it's all about improving yourself. So go together. You know, learn together, and then you maybe come to a conclusion. If you're talking about a situation where there's a divorce or they're living in two separate families, that's very difficult. That's a very difficult situation. But depending on the age of the children as well, um, uh, depending on the age of the children, but really it comes down to trust. If your child trusts you, they will trust your opinion. <clears throat> so if you've built up a relationship, so it's a very simple way of doing it. And as, again, it's, a, it's talking to your children. Some people think talking to children is, Oi, Jokarki Beda, Oi, Oi. That's their communication skills, right? That's not communicating. Uh, it's talking to them. So so a very simple thing could be, you know, um, they say there's a younger sibling, Oi, he wants the chocolates. Do you think we should give him the chocolates? Uh, yeah. Do you think it's good for his teeth? No. Do you think it's good for his health? No. Right? So getting them to understand getting them to come give you the answers and then they'll say actually maybe we shouldn't give them the chocolates or maybe we should just give them a few just give them a few yeah we just give them a few I think why why should not give them a few oh because it's not good for them okay so so but he wants it but yeah but he doesn't understand ah oh, he doesn't understand right okay but then when he gets older he'll understand yeah he'll understand and you say look see just like that just like you're you're, you're. but he, if I don't give him the chocolates he'll start crying he goes yeah but it's not good for him so you say look there's certain things, you understand this because you're older, yeah, and he's younger, he doesn't understand. Similarly, I'm older than you, and there's certain things I understand, you don't understand. So when I might be telling you not to do something, you might think, oh, why can't I do it, it's not fair, but I, I know that it's better for you. Do you understand? So you get them involved in what you're doing, explain to them. Once you get them on your side, they will then conform. But if you're going to say, oi, edara, oi, all that kind of stuff then that is not going to get you anywhere then what's going to happen is they'll do it as long as you can control them as when they get older they're going to say I don't need to listen to this anymore there's actually a few practical suggestions that um, some, one brother told me in terms of what he would do because essentially the children they might not say it but in young people they want attention they want the parents time Yeah, and he, what he would say you know each he had a few children and he would say like, once a month or something, he would say actually, it's your time, you've got one-to-one -one time with me, let's go do something you want to do, whether it's shopping, whether it's going to the movies, whether it's going for a hill walk, and the other kids will be with their mum, but they'll get you know those two or three hours of that half a day with dad and they get time to do that and then they all take a turn. And I actually thought that was a really nice thing to do because they want because sometimes especially if you have multi, if you're Muslim and you have fifteen kids eat right it becomes difficult to give each one the attention that they deserve but that's one strategy. The other thing is you know as you know I've been doing some of the interviews with some of the you know some people which I find really beneficial. But one of the things when you're speaking to um, uh, Sheikh Asim Yusuf, 
goes, when he was growing up, um, his dad used to work, I think his dad was a doctor, and he used to work away a lot. But he goes, when he was, you know, when he was there, it was more about quality time. Because when I, when dad was there, it was total undivided attention, and that's what they would do. And he goes, so it wasn't really the quantity of time that they have with their parents. Because the reality is, look, a lot of you know parents work now, they're busy lifestyles, got other commitments with his family and relationships. But you know, he was saying when he was when the it was, it was more about quality than quantity of time. Because you know yourself, Jake, the parents can be there all the time with the kids, and this. It's toxic, right, and it's very destructive. And so it's not the quality that the children need, and sometimes it can be spending less time, but having real quality and divided attention. So, I think that's been really useful. But moving on to so you know the challenges of the teenagers, one of the big things um, somebody was asking is when do you teach them about the birds and the bees? When's the right time? I think um, when in biology class. <laughs> But Islamically, I mean, you know, you do a lot of courses with them um, through unity, stepping into adulthood and stuff. You know, is it worth having that chat when they <coughs> after they've hit puberty? Is that, that is that when you should be discussing? You, you should be discussing this um, around the time that they will be going through puberty. And like you said, we we uh, we, start, we, we um, started an initiative at Unity Farm Services. We've been doing it for a couple of times now. And it's it's basically uh, just a couple hours of a workshop called Stepping Into Adulthood. So it's taking children around the age of puberty. And we have three sessions where we have um, a, a, a somebody who is a doctor, talks about the physical changes that they're going to go through. We have someone um, also kind of more talking about the emotional changes that they'll go through, the hormones and so on. And then we have a, a scholar going through what is their... What, what, what are their responsibilities as an adult and what we do is we, we have uh, young boys, young girls and we have the parents there as well so we teach each section um, to each group and we tell them look this is what we've taught your children now and then it's up to the parents to continue that sort of conversation with them and because it's it's that uh, not every parent knows how to approach that subject we've, we've kind of taken that could say sting out by uh, doing the job for them or at least initiating that conversation for them and then after that thereafter it's up to them to take it forward I mean I've, I've spoken to to, um, to to again children or young adults about this topic um, because I know their parents um, don't know how to do it their parents are just like you know uh, uh, and I'll ask them has your parents spoken to you about this topic no they haven't so there's an awkwardness but Unless you teach them, they will go and find the information themselves. They'll get it from the playground, won't they? They'll get it from they the already playground. know it by the time you have yeah, that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, 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 they know. And now you've got the phones, you've got online stuff. They can Google anything. They, they're a hundred steps ahead of you. So you can't you can't just think, well, um, you know, I'll just keep my... You can See that idea of keeping yourself sheltered from the world? That doesn't exist anymore. The world is... On their fingertips. We have a question online basically regarding early puberty. So, if somebody goes through puberty at an earlier age, say nine or ten, what's the, the guide, guidelines there? Because you mentioned the seven years of play, of seven years of teaching, and seven years of friendship. So, how would that sit with that kind of age when they're hitting puberty quite early? And whether you can still treat them as an adult at, at nine or ten? Yeah, well, I mean, probably refer mainly to. Female as well, probably. It's probably, yeah. I mean, if, if they've gone through puberty at nine or ten, uh, which can happen, then I think what you'd say to them is that well, you're, you'd still teach, you'd still treat them uh, more responsibly by saying you are responsible for yourself. You're, you need to pray. You know, you need to fast Ramadan. Um, these are the obligations, and I'm here to help you, etc., etc. But you need to take responsibility for that. Yeah, they might be still a bit young, so you'd probably still carry that advice of the 777. So play for seven, uh, teach them for seven. Because even Sayyidina Aisha, who was, who was married at a very young age, uh, we know used to play with um, dolls. So, you know, the, the Prophet never stopped her from, from doing that. So we wouldn't stop them from doing things that, you know, other kids at their age are doing. Okay, Sheikh, so obviously if listeners are just joining us, you're listening to Cradle to the Grave with Sheikh Ahmed Jamil and our topic tonight is parenting. Uh, we're here till about two o'clock, inshallah. So we're talking about teenagers and young people, Sheikh, and uh, um, 
we've talked a bit about I guess the birds and the bees, but the other real challenge sometimes, it, especially in this context and um, recent events as well, is this whole idea of I don't know what the right terminology, whether it's called it radicalization, extremism, ideology, whatever, I guess. But I think we know what we're talking about. So, you know, I guess there's this real challenge of a young people who might be attracted to certain um, strands or approaches or viewpoints within Islam that are particularly perhaps out with the norm for the, that family. Um, and from, I think, a lot of the evidence that we do know is a lot of this stuff happens, you know, online, isn't it, in terms of the, where their views are formed. Um, you know, they call them keyboard jihadists or keyboard warriors, you know, and uh, often they're not connected to mainstream society in mosques. Actually, they're sitting in their bedroom, they're seeing these videos, they're seeing stuff, and they they start developing some of these um, very wrong and unhealthy views. Once a parent becomes aware of that, I, I guess it's two stages. The one issue is the parents are totally aloof that that's going on. And the other issue is once, you know, if it's going on and they become aware of it, how do they deal with it? So what what would your thoughts be on that? I think that should be a, a warning signal to, to parents now that um, you, if you neglect your child or if you're not taking an active interest in their life, this kind of thing can happen, which is, I think, why it's different from, say, our era. Those challenges weren't there. They are there now. So the parenting has to evolve. It has to change from our time to now. You can't just copy what you did, what your parents did with you. You need to be a complete different type of parent in this 21st century. Um, and so the solution really to this, like I said, is there has to be that close relationship, communication going on from an early age so that anything which comes to... Uh, the child's mind, they will, anything important, significant, they will discuss it with you. If you've not had that type of relationship with your child, then that is going to be the biggest problem you're going to face because they're probably more likely to discuss it with other people, people online, people who are not even are strangers and uh, that they build relationships over the net rather than with you. If you become aware of that, then you can't just say, OK, that's it, you're banned because they'll find other ways around it. Um, you have to, like I said, you, they're an adult, you have to speak to them like an adult, but don't be afraid to discuss their views. Okay, why do you think that? Where did you get that? Okay, was this person a scholar? Um, where did they, you know, pr problem make them. It's about making them think because young people view things very black and white. If you think back to when you were young, and now, with which a with age experience, you realise things are more nuanced. And when you're young, you you tend to see things very black and white. Um, and it's you know that's the same for for young people now. They see things black and white. And as they get more life experience, they realise okay, it's a bit more to it than this. So it's 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 natural that they're going to look for simple solutions. And uh, whether you like it or not, these people who are online are very active, and they're giving simple solutions. Problem solution. And we, we see ourselves, we see pictures, it comes up in your, your new, new Facebook feed, people getting killed, you know, Muslims getting slaughtered all over the world. And it's a natural thing that you want to do something about it. Um, so uh, you have to then channel that and say, yes, we need to do something about it, but this is this is the correct way. How did the Prophet Sassam did it, do it? And if you don't have the ability to do that, then you need to uh, get somebody's assistance um, a local person, local scholar. I mean, it's, it doesn't have to be a scholar. There's plenty of people uh, who have studied enough. I mean, alhamdulillah, some of our ISLB students more than capable uh, of having these kind of discussions. They've spent, spent a few years studying, but they're you know they're good, um, intelligent people. They can easily engage with uh, young people. So um, this is a challenge for us at a community level. We have multiple challenges in our community. And this is one of them. And this, they're not going to go away. We have to um, be honest and frank and, and uh, try to... And even a discussion on radio is not a solution either. Um, and the, the problem these days is that uh, it's all about sound bites, isn't it? It's very, and even politicians do this. I mean, all this stuff about the general election going on, they'll just give out statements like strong and stable, strong and stable. You know, sound bites. Trump did it as well when he became the president. Just keep giving. We're going to make America great again. We're going to make America great again. You, you know, and this is the problem when when you're trying to explain an answer. 
this is a problem that sometimes you, you don't have enough time to explain uh, or get into the nitty gritty or um, the, the and the thing is all of these issues whether it's painting today painting is a massive issue huge and this I mean I was talking to Anas about this the other day I said this this requires like workshops this requires like um, so much work to be done so that we can come up with uh, our our kind of strategy our kind of solution to parenting going forward and it's going to keep evolving because things are changing all the time so it's about really um, looking at all of these issues and really t spending time discussing but then it's very important to think of solutions going forward and the message I'm get, I guess I'm hearing from you Sheikh is you know, one of the bottom lines is be proactive about dealing with these issues don't be a passive passenger to your child just growing up and think everything hopefully inshallah will make dua everything will be alright you actually need to be very proactive you have to be involved you have to be creative you have to work because I guess the long and short of it is every child is different mm. and I guess that's one of the challenges when you give advice is that you give try to give the principles and the general overview and I guess the role of the parent is to take that and then think how do I you know, apply that to my child and even within a household, every child will be different. The yeah. temperament so will be you, different. Yeah. And so your approach yeah. of how you right. distill that down is going to be, you know, and so that, that is, that's quite a heavy responsibility for a parent because mm -hmm. they can't just say, oh, you know, Sheikh, come and sort my kids out because, you know, th this parent knows their household the best. They're the professionals for that household. They need to work it out, but they need to understand what the issues are. They need to think of solutions. You know, and so that's what I'm. I guess what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, and like you said, um, every child is different, so it's not good enough to say, well, you know, the the eldest child wasn't like this. Why are you not like? Mo why are you not more like the eldest child? Because they're not the eldest child. The the, the second oldest. You can't. You can. You know, this is the thing of comparing uh, siblings. This creates other problems itself, as you know. But you have to understand that every. I mean, I've got twins, right? Um, so you'd think twins. They, they shared the same womb. Uh, they've been together, you know, from the beginning, but they're very different. And I and I see that. And I, I sometimes say to my wife that it's amazing that they shared the same womb, but they're so different. They've got their own personality, um, just likes and dislikes. They, I mean, they're, they're they're twins, but they they are very very different. And so sometimes what works with one doesn't work with the other one. And um, it's about understanding. And I think, see, this, this idea that I was talking about before, this idea of respecting the individual, that this person, he is an individual, this other person is an individual. They have a certain um, identity to them. And it might not be, you know, so as much as, yes, I have plans for my children, I want them to be X, Y, Z, but they may take a different path in life. And I have to, as much as... Um, it might hurt me that they're not they're not doing what I want. So, for example, maybe I want to make them half of the Quran. But as much as I want them to do that, if they decide they don't want to do that, I have to respect that is their choice and that is their direction they want to go in. But for many of us that are from the subcontinent and a lot of people in Glasgow are, I mean that approach is is, is very difficult, different to the approach that perhaps our parents were with us. And what expectations? Often that's seen as a sign of weakness, because you know, the perception seems to be my child should respect me enough that they listen to what I say, and it's very you know that, that it's that. So so rather than being a collaborative process, is look look let's help this young person grow up. It's actually I am gonna teach this person, tell them X, Y, and Z, mm -hmm. and. I'm going to shape them because because I, I know yeah. best. Yeah, let me ask you a question, right? Um, say, okay, that's fine. You you've taken that approach. The kids got to 21, right? And 21, they can't really make a decision for themselves because the decisions have always been made. And Allah wills that you pass away. So tomorrow you're not there. Is that person now 21 years old with the skills you've given that person? Are they going to be able to navigate their life in the world they're living in? That's the question. You know, so you have to think. One day I will not be here, and I have I given my child the skills, um, the ability to navigate in this world that they, he or she, is going to live, and I will not be there all the time, and I will not be there to tell them what to do, or I won't, they will not be able. They'll have to think for themselves. They have to make their own decisions. Have I given them that ability to do that, 
or um, have I actually suffocated them by making all the decisions for them? And this is the this is the the, the, the what happens is some parents are like one extreme, and other people are not a complete other extreme. What I'm saying is that we should be somewhere in the middle. And I guess it's having that confidence as a parent to to do what's right or what you think is right rather than what society or your families or other people expect of how you should be parenting. You have to say actually as a couple or as a single person raising this child, this is what I think my child needs and I, I've got the confidence to do that, even if societies, you know, have been brought up in a different way, etc. But Umran, you were going to come in with, um, I guess, one of the challenges about online um, and uh, one of the most popular discussions I certainly seem to be having with a lot of parents. Yeah, basically it's a, a mixture of things really, how to deal with kids on the internet, when should they get a phone, even boundaries on Facebook friends, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. So this whole online world, which is really difficult to control, I mean, there are mechanisms, there are software, for example, you can um, utilise to help you control it, but what's the guidance reg regarding that and, you know, what ages should you be letting them loose? Because, like you said, you can't keep them in this bubble. Their friends are on Facebook, their friends are on Snapchat, Instagram, so they obviously want to be part of that. So, um, look, we're living in a completely different era, right? And like you are saying, Aman Allah, that... You know, our parents maybe brought up, up, brought, up us, brought us up in a certain way, and they demanded respect, and and it's natural that you know you think, well, this is what has how my parents treat me. I should be I should be getting the same from my kids. That's fine if you want to push that. But what I'm saying is that the world's changed, the world is changing, and you should keep up. You need to keep up with what's happening. If you don't, you'll just become outdated, and you know you're got a risk of losing your your children. So that's the that's the reality of it. So there's one thing. Um, having your own, what you would like to do. In an ideal situation, yeah, I'd like to do X, Y, Z, but I'm not in an ideal situation. I'm in a complete different situation. I've got to look at the pros and cons. So when it comes to uh, online uh, stuff, uh, can you keep your children away from online? No, you can't. Can, uh, will you be able to uh, forbid them from having a phone? Up until an age, yes. But eventually they will get their own phone. Um, so at some point you are, will lose that um, that, that kind of grip over them, right? And this is where uh, I've been doing this series uh, on uh, on Facebook and, and YouTube uh, called the Good Life series. And the second um, video was called the Fear Factor. And what I was talking about was that when we were taught as children, we were always taught with fear that if you don't do this, you'll go to the hellfire. If you don't do this, it's gonna. If you don't do this, this happens. If you don't, and some of it, obviously, I've, I've, I've learnt now that is is actually there's no basis for these. You know, I remember you'd be told if you don't eat all your food, you have to eat in the day of judgment and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there's like all sorts of stuff you were you're taught as kids to make you do things, but it was always it was always like a, a, a fear element, and that works at early ages. But when, it, when a, a, a person gets old enough and they don't need to go to the mosque anymore, they don't need to listen to anymore, then they're free to do what they want, then they will, they, they, you know, the, the fear thing's gone, so what's going to be the motivation factor for them not to do something? Whereas if what we'd done was we had put love of God in their heart that, you know, Allah you know, Allah's the most important thing in your life and you can't let him down and, and you know, and he he created you and afterwards uh, when you when you when you go from this world you're going to he's going to ask you how did you live your life and look at all the blessings he's given you and just building that relationship up with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then what happens is you will not have to um, uh, um always breathe over their necks because when they are by themselves when they are in that room alone with their phone which they will be at some point it's that taqwa in the heart it's that god consciousness it's that love of god that's going to stop them from doing the wrong thing because the fear is not going to be there you're not going to be in that room the fear's gone and they could easily get up to no good uh, however if it's self-driven in other words they don't want to do it or if they're looking at the thing, oh, Allah's watching me, right? Or you know, you know, I know this is wrong. Then they they have to be able to correct themselves because you will not be there forever with them, and they need to learn that from a very early age. So uh, you know, it's it's that I know it's difficult. I know it's not easy, but if you and it's a, it's a balance because if you completely deny them, then it pushes them more towards it. So. 
Um, I mean, I'm, for example, I've not, got, I've not got a television, okay? That's a conscious decision I made uh, in my home. And I know that's quite abnormal. Most people have, have TVs. However, um, I'm, not, I'm not really strict in the sense that if they go over to, you know, um, my mum's house or other houses, what do they do? They want to watch TV because they don't have it in the house, but I let them. So they catch up on all the Pakistani dramas that they've missed all <laughs> No, not really. <laughs> right. But, you know, I'll let them watch whatever, say, cartoons or whatever, but I'll just select the right channel. Because even though I know that I know there's going to be ads and, there's, and, and I know that the, they're selling them stuff, they're trying to sell them toys, I know all that stuff. But it's a balance. If you completely go to one extreme, you will just push them more and more towards that. Yeah, and sometimes the other kids, their cousins, they're sitting there and they'll show them stuff on their phone. I know that. But the the thing is, you cannot you cannot um, completely uh, stop them. So you, it's it's it's, a keep, it's keeping a balance. It's trying to find where is the balance here. But that idea of you know, at some point they're going to come out, you know, out with your grip or out with your you know, from out with your you know the wing that you have them under. Some parents say, actually, let me hold, keep that grip for as long as I can. So let me protect them from that. So I'll I'll try and delay them getting their own phone. For as long as I'm physically able to, right? Yeah, but what? And at some stage, yeah. I accept they will do it, but let's do that when they're older. I think what you have to do is ask them, right, you should do what's going to be more effective. If there's a strategy and it's failing, if you've got business, right, and you're making a loss, do you think, well, you know, uh, we need to do something? Obviously, you're going to say, we're making a loss, we need to, whatever we're doing is not working, we need to change our strategy. So if that strategy, uh, was going to work long term I'd say f- stick with it but what I'm saying is that the strategy that our parents used with us and worked is not necessarily the same strategy we should use you can by all means do it if you if you if you if you want to do it fine but then you have to deal with the repercussions of that what I'm saying is that we need to um, tailor make and, and make our um, our our strategy and our painting strategy and it's something that's going to keep evolving as the world keeps changing, as there's more challenges coming, we need to keep evolving that. So it's an ongoing process, and the 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 the, the difficult the, or the, the the difficulty for people is that, see, a lot of the times um, they'll say, Sheikh, I want my child to learn really good tajweed, or I want them to become like this or become like that. So I say, yeah, you can get them the, the best child, or you get take them to summer school, the best summer school, and they're going to teach them all these good things, but ultimately. If they come home and they see you doing the opposite, they're going to think, well, that's just theory, because if it was that important, my parents would do it. So the problem, when you say that to people, they don't like it because you're putting responsibility on their shoulders. And what they want to do is they want to put the responsibility on somebody else's shoulders, the madrasa, the school, whatever. And you have to understand the primary person of tarbiyah is you, the parent, not the school, not the madrasa, you. You are, you should be teaching them with everything you do. When you're with them in the home, Whatever activity you're doing, you should be teaching them all the time through your actions, through talking to them. But if you're just going to sit, uh, watch the watch the TV, and the only thing is, go and get me popcorn, go and get me cha, go and get me this, go and do this, go and do your homework, right? If that's what you're going to do, then basically you're just you're just a person. It's like a lodger, and you just like you're just the land, you're the landlord. You know, you provide A, B, C, D, and that's it. That, that apart from that, you're not the person I go to for advice. You're not the person I discuss things with. So, what? Uh, guess what? I will go and discuss that with someone else. I'll go and get my advice from someone else. Oh, there's my phone. I was. Oh, there's my friend. I'll ask him. I'll ask her. And, and this aspect of, uh, I guess, developing this trust, um, and you know, this whole idea of accessing the internet and laptops, etc. Right? And you know, some people say, look, you know. You, you know they, should, they shouldn't have TVs and laptops in their bedrooms, right? You put it in a communal place if they do need. Obviously, but they will need to use it. I mean, so I know some parents will say, "Look, I'm I'm gonna, keep, you know, I check their browser history, right? I'm gonna really keep a close eye on things, see what they're accessing and stuff." On the one side, you can understand the concerns so that the parent wants to know what's going on. The other, the other side is that that actually totally shatters any trust that you have because. You know, if that person knows. So, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, how, you know, where, where do you get the balance right? That's okay in the early years, but as 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 they get older, teenagers. See, you got one thing you got to remember: they're super smart. They're three steps ahead of you, right? 
And if you think checking their browser history, they will just delete it. They will wipe it. They will find out other ways of getting around the, the issue. Or they just won't do it on that computer. They'll do it when they're at school. Can you, can you, are you going to check their browser at school? Are you going to check their browser? I mean, how much can you keep um, spying on them? Mm. They will find ways and times of doing things. And um, the, the thing, I mean, yeah, we can take these steps. We can make sure there's no um, computers in the, in, the, in the bedroom. It's in a communal place. You, you can try and put all these mechanisms in. That's all, uh, that's all grand. But ultimately, if you're asking what is the essence, what is the absolute essence of this, the essence of this is in that person's heart. It's internal. It's if you create that God consciousness in the child, then the child will choose to do the right thing. Otherwise, you will have to constantly be on their case when, they, when, they, when they're doing the wrong thing and correcting them. And they'll say, oh, you know, and they'll, they'll keep doing it for a period of time. But eventually, once you lose control, then you've lost them. And we're coming towards the end of the show, uh, Sheikh. A couple of quick things that I'd be interested to hear your views. One is, um, you know, with the whole sort of prevalence of, uh, you know, social media, Facebook in particular, and Twitter and Snapchat and all that. One thing that always struck me was this whole um, when you look at people's friends lists. You know, so I guess. It, for me, interesting to hear what you would say to teenagers that are listening or, or young people that are listening. They've got, you know, it's this, I guess fundamentally, I guess what I'm getting to is there's this whole context of haya and modesty, right? In day-to-day lives, you know, one of the characteristics of a Muslim in the online world. And you know, you've got, you know, if you've got hundreds of friends and you know, two-thirds are of the opposite sex, you know, I remember, you know. I guess thinking about that because I guess it phys- you know face to face you know these would be issues perhaps you know having you know mixed you know French friendships etc getting too close to all this sort of stuff but then on the online world it seems to be very different and I guess to some extent over the years we've just kind of got used to it you know you have three hundred friends and a couple hundred will be your own you know gender and a hundred will be something else and there'll be you know that interaction and photos and stuff. I mean, what advice would you give? I mean, where do we draw the lines Islamically here? Is that okay? Is it different because it's online? Is it actually not? Is it, is it dangerous, or is it actually just another new reality that we face? That just because somebody's your friend on your Facebook doesn't mean any more than that. You know, it's not I mean you're going out with them, etc. So, just making sense of that. I, I think this is not just a, a problem for for children. It's a problem for adults as well. Um, I mean, I deal with predominantly adults with marriage problems and things like that. And they themselves don't know the boundaries. So if they don't know the boundaries, how are they going to teach their children any boundaries? So the first and foremost thing is, have we understood what our boundaries are when it comes to social media? Um, And if we haven't understood it, how are we going to pass that on to our children? So social media is obviously a new phenomena, and uh, that's something that we need to actually discuss ourselves. And the Prophet said that every ummah has a characteristic, and the characteristic of this ummah is hayat. So there's a, supposed to be an element of modesty in a Muslim, how they behave, how they uh, hold themselves in public, and part of that is Facebook interaction. And um, the, we have to have that conversation with our children as well, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, and make clear what your feelings are. That look, this is I'm not happy with this, or I'm not happy with that, I don't agree with this, I don't agree with that, I don't approve of this. So they know where you stand, that, okay, my parents, this is where they stand. And obviously it's a public thing, so you can go onto their profile, you can see their friends and just ask them, who's this Who's this person, who's that person? I saw this post, um, I didn't really, did you think that was okay? So involve them in that uh, and, 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 and they might say, well, no, I didn't like it either. So you know, okay, my child actually doesn't approve of that either, although they're not said anything, but I, I now know that they don't actually approve of it. Or they might approve, they might think yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Why do you think there's nothing wrong with it? Oh, because of this, this, this. And you say, and you, and you give them an example of another case, maybe in the in the media, where something happened, and you say, well, look at that. You know, oh, I didn't know that. So you know, there's what I'm saying is that it's got to be a very, if you want to, if you, if you want to get painting on lockdown, you've got to be very active. You're going to have to give up some of your free time, 
you know, and this is the thing. People want other people to parent their children. No one's going to parent your children for you, right? No one's got time. You've got to do it yourself. It's going to, it's, you're going to have to sacrifice some of that football time. You're going to have to sacrifice some of that EastEnders time or whatever it is. You're going to have to sacrifice some of your time that you'd like to do other things and just spend it talking to your children, spending time with them. That When, when your child knows that my parent loves me, trusts me, um, has got my best interest at heart, and that's been there from the word go. If that rela- if that feeling has been there all throughout their life, they will then trust you as an adult. As as you go, as they become teenagers, they will trust your opinion, because they've always trusted you. But when that when that has not been there, it's been non-existent. That's where the problem is, because all of a sudden you want now at the age of thirteen to to start something which has never been there. That is the problem. Okay. Shake, shake, we've kind of run out of time once again, but thank you so much for a lot of the valuable advice that you've given. We've covered so many topics today in terms of parenting. We've talked a bit about, um, you know, this very famous uh, quote about playing with them for the first seven years, teaching them for the next seven and, and being their friend or advising them for the next seven. We talked a bit about positive ways of parenting um, from an early age, we talked about teenagers and challenges, uh, I guess the whole online sphere as well. Uh, we had a number of questions and comments about particularly single parents, and I guess a lot of what we've talked about is about role models uh, within the household, because that's where children learn from, isn't it? And even adults, we learn from role models, um, but particularly if there's just one one parent um, how do they provide positive role models? The reason we are, why we haven't gone too much into it that you there's a discussion show on Sakina Society, which should be available uh, on so, uh, SoundCloud. A lot of the Radio Ramadan um, uh, discussions are being uploaded on pod, as podcasts on SoundCloud, and so there's a program Sakina Society where I think you went in quite in depth with this whole area of single parents, role models, etc. And we've had very positive feedback, so. I would encourage people to go there. Um, but Jazakallah Khair again for your time. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.